This morning, we will look at Paul's example and what his life meant for us and how could we draw from that uh, and how can we apply it today. Secondly, we'll look at how do we become unashamed of the gospel? You know, Paul made this remarkable statement in Romans 1:16, and he says, For I am unashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone. So how do we get there? How do we go out into the world and show that we're unashamed of the gospel? And lastly, we're going to look at some uh, practical examples as to how we reach the lost. So let's start off uh, picking up in verse one of Romans one. Uh, Paul says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. One of the first examples that we can draw from Paul's life is the fact that he states that he is a servant. Okay, so Paul is writing to the Roman church. Uh, He has yet to meet them, as you saw from our morning reading. He is longing to meet the congregation in Rome, and he's never met them before. And what's incredible about that is he the first thing he wants them to know about himself is that he is a servant. So I was looking at that word servant and the Greek language. It's translated as doulos and doulos simply means uh, somebody who has uh, surrendered. They have given up their rights for their master. And in this case, Paul is telling us that he surrendered everything that he has. For Jesus Christ. What a beautiful image, isn't it? I was thinking about, you know, imagine if we introduce ourselves. Imagine you meet somebody for the first time and the first thing you say, hey, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. Probably wouldn't go over that well. Probably isn't as effective because we're not as familiar with servants and slave in our culture today. Now, I know it does exist, but we're not as familiar with it. But in, in, in Paul's day, that was actually uh, an endearment term. You see, if you use that in the church, you were held with high esteem. If you confessed to be a servant of Christ Jesus in the early church, you were looked upon with high esteem. So the first example is, uh, you know, we need to adopt the mentality of being servants. Next, we go on to Paul's, uh, his conviction. He is so convicted uh, for the sake of the gospel so much so he tells us this in second corinthians eleven twenty three to 27 check out some of the things that he went through for the gospel 40 lashes less one he's been beaten he's been stoned three times he was shipwrecked he was adrift he was in danger in toil and in hardship He was hungry and he was cold. See, nobody goes through all of that if you are not convicted for something. None of us are going to go out there and and go through some hardships like Paul unless you were sold out about something. And so Paul uh, laid his life. He dedicated his entire life because he believed in the gospel. Now, we have to be mindful that Paul wasn't always this fond of of the gospel. If you remember prior to his conversion, Paul was somebody who um, who hated the gospel or, or wasn't so, uh, you know, didn't he didn't like the idea of people confessing to be Christians. 
We are told in Acts chapter 7 and 8 that Paul was persecuting the church. In fact, he stood and watched Stephen get stoned to death. And he was right there. So Paul wasn't always convicted about the gospel. But after his conversion, after God spoke to him and blinded him for several days, once that point, from that point on, he really laid his life for the sake of the gospel. So I was thinking about the mentality and the mindset of Paul. And many of you have heard of Kobe Bryant. Now, uh, growing up, right when I got into basketball in the early 2000s, uh, uh, Kobe Bryant was somebody who was uh, just becoming a superstar. And Kobe Bryant, uh, if you know anything about him, especially after his death, you hear a lot of his peers, a lot of his family, a lot of his coaches, they said that his mentality was, they've never seen anything like it. He was so relentless. He was so convinced that he was going to be the best basketball player on the court that he did everything in his power to get there. And arguably, you can say that Kobe Bryant is probably, will go down as one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Check out this quote that he says, If you really want to be great at something, you have to truly care about it. If you want to be great in a particular area, you have to obsess over it. Now, he's talking about basketball. What if we took that mentality, the mentality of Kobe Bryant and Paul, and, and, and we applied that into our Christian life? What if we obsessed over being the best Christians that we can and trying to reach those who don't know God? Can you imagine how effective we would be? I think it would go a long way. Paul, one of the other things you'll notice about Paul's life is that he knew his purpose. He tells us this in verse 14 of chapter 1. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul knew exactly what his purpose was. And he knew who his uh, source of power was, and that was God. I was thinking, as I was thinking about this, I came across an article in, um, in North Korea. In North Korea, there's been this phenomenon that's been happening. In 2010, they've been able to trade with their neighboring country, and specifically China. And so North Koreans, there's been, uh, uh, you know, an obsession was with buying a fridge. So North Koreans buy a fridge, uh, and a fridge in a North Korean's home, it symbolizes a wealth status. If you owned a fridge in North Korean culture, it meant that you were wealthy. Now, in North Korea, they weren't using a fridge for its intended purpose. They were using a fridge to store books in it. Now, I have to apologize if I've given you some terrible designer idea. I hope you're not going to go ahead and put books in your fridge. But they were using a fridge to store books in it. And the reason is, is because in the North Korean uh, 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 power structure, their, their infrastructure for electricity, it's unreliable. So they would put food in it and, you know, power could go out for days and the food would go bad. Now, they still wanted to have a fridge because of what it represents. So they started putting books in it. Now, I was thinking about our purpose as Christians. Can you imagine 
when we are Christians and living our lives not for the intention of what God had designed. We kind of look like a fridge with books in it. Now, in North America, we know what a fridge is for, right? We know we use a fridge to put food in it. So as Christians, I think hopefully we can get the idea, like Paul, let's reflect on our purpose. Let's reflect and think about how do we reach the lost and what do we have a role to play in God's ministry. I want to move on to the second part of my lesson, and that is unashamed. So as I said, how do we get to a point uh, where Paul is? Is that even possible for us? He said this in verse 16. He said he is unashamed of the gospel. How do we get that? How, how do we get there today? You see, the Bible is. Um, there's a lot of conspiracy theories about the Bible. Many people think it's a bedtime story that somebody made up. Many people think it's um, it's not true. It's it's it has no credibility. One of the most popular ones that I've come across is the idea that. The apostles, these 12 apostles of Jesus, they made this thing up and they wanted to get fame and control society. So let's go along with that for a minute. Let's just say these 12 guys uh, wrote this book together and made it up. Think about the lives of the apostles. With the exception of John, they all died horrific deaths. You know, some of them were hung upside down. Some of them were burned. Some of them were thrown into a lion's den. Um, do you think that any of us would die for a lie? Would you ever die for a lie? None of us would, right? So how is it that if, if these apostles made up this book, how is it that they all died horrific deaths? Don't you think at some point one of them would come out squealing and say, hey, all right, we've taken this way too far. We've gone too far. You know, we made this up. But none of them did that. And it's because it's the inspired word of God. This is God's word and it's authentic. Another aspect that I like to look at when I was deciding to become a Christian were the prophecies. And to illustrate this, I want to use the work of Peter Stoner. Peter Stoner was a mathematics and an astronomy professor. And he wrote a book and an article. You probably have come across it. It's called, uh, Is Jesus real is he the messiah or is he a fraud and he wanted to prove he wanted to use numbers to prove that jesus did in fact uh, walk this earth and resurrected and so he he talks about the prophecies so let's just go ahead and say that um let's just say if there are eight prophecies let's just use eight prophecies if eight prophecies happen by sheer chance what do you think the odds of that coming together? I'll go ahead, give you a sec. What are the odds of eight prophecies coming together by sheer chance? Can you guess? Okay, it's that number. I can't even read it. It's 10 to the power of 17. Okay? That's eight prophecies. Let's go ahead and double that up. Let's say there's 16 prophecies. What are the chances of 16 prophecies coming together by sheer chance. Can you guess? Okay, if you said 10 to the power of 45, you've guessed correctly. And that's a lot of zeros. 
Now, church, do you know how many prophecies there are? There are 365. And they were all built to their exact detail. Church, I don't have enough zeros to put up on that screen to tell you what the odds of those coming by sheer chance. This is God's inspired word. And there's nothing to be ashamed of. If we are going out to reach disciples, if we're going to try to reach the world, we need to be convinced 100% that this is God's word. And the word of God has the power to change people and their lives. I was somebody who, many of you know, I wasn't a Christian. I was a former Muslim. And um, I had an, in, uh, an incident right when I first became a Christian. I was uh, a Christian. I, was, I referred to myself as a closet Christian because I was living in my apartment. I was putting on YouTube and putting on hymns and I was worshiping God. And I thought, that's what a Christian is. That's what Christianity is. And, uh, you know, there was an urge after a couple of months, there was an urge in my heart. I, I wanted to tell my, at least my mom about my, uh, my new life. You know, I was excited and I wanted to tell her. So uh, one evening I was picking her up. She was taking English classes. So I went to go ahead and pick her up. And I was determined that I was going to tell my mom. I said, you know, I'm going to tell my mom this is the day. And, you know, as I was pulling up into the parking lot, man, I was sweating. Like my palms were so sweaty. I swear, I think I lost about five pounds. Like I started dripping, you know, and I'm just like, wow, like I didn't I didn't think this was going to be this scary. But um, so anyways, uh, she comes in the car and I'm driving her home and, you know, she's talking and my head is just thinking, when, when is the opportunity? When can I tell her? And I chickened out that night. I chickened out. I didn't tell my mom. So I went on and went on to my little Christian life. I was in my apartment, you know, went to work later that week and everything was good up until I came across this verse. Mark 8:38. it says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now, do you know when I read that that week, do you know how that impacted me? I could remember that I felt like it literally a semi-truck just ran me over. Because for whatever reason, even, though if, even if my reasons were good, I was ashamed of Jesus with my mom in that car. And I made it a goal of mine to tell her the, next, the, the following week that I, was, that I became a Christian. Let's move on. Uh, reaching the lost. So how do we go into this world? How do we go out in this world? And how do we reach the lost? Uh, Jay and I spent last month at the stand conference. And so we spent the whole entire uh, the weekend talking about evangelism. And uh, Jay mentioned some of the stuff that I'm about to mention. Because I think it impacted both of us in a good way. Uh, he, one of the things that really stood out uh, to me about uh, Stan was this man, David Hunziger, the speaker. He was somebody who uh, spent the entire weekend tell us, telling us about evangelism and what his church is doing. And he talked about Sierra Leone. Uh, Sierra Leone has seen a tremendous amount of growth in disciple making. Okay, In the last 15 years, they've seen 
you know, Sierra Leone is a predominantly Muslim country. So Christianity was at 6% uh, 15 years ago. Fast forward to today, it has grown 21%. So people wanted to know what was the secret sauce that the gentleman here on, on my left, his name is Shadonke Johnson, and he is literally the modern day Paul. At least that's how I view him. Shadonke Johnson has planted about three, over 3,000 churches today. So the North American churches started to, uh, he caught their attention. And he's spearheading a movement. And, and they, they went and asked him, they're like, what are you doing that is seeing so many people give up their lives for Jesus? What is it? Tell us. Tell us the secret. And you know what, the, you know what he said? He says, the first things that we do, we meet the needs of the lost. We meet their needs. Well, what does that mean? Well, he says, for example, he has a, I mean, they're a large group, so he has teams. And uh, he says, one of the first things we do, we go into a village, we go into a town, we go into a city, a community, whatever it is that we're trying to reach. We go in there and we simply assess the need of the, of the community. Do they need a school? Do they need a hospital? Do they need infrastructure? Do they need basic needs like food and medication? Whatever it is, we'll meet their needs. This is before they even bring up God and the gospel and the church. They don't say any of that. They literally go out there, they meet the needs of the people, and they provide it. So what does that mean for us today? I think that we can do the same thing for the lost. Look around and think about who can we uh, serve? How do we build a relationship with somebody? How can we reach those before even telling them about God and Jesus? So they said, okay, well, what else? What else are you doing? Here are some things that were shared at the stand conference that we'll, we'll go through one by one. Uh, and they're all, you know, it, it's amazing to me what stood out. This isn't something, he's not reinventing the wheel. It's all biblical and practical things that, that are instructed in the Bible. You know, prayer and fasting is one of the first things that him and his team, they do on a regular basis. Jesus said in uh, Matthew 9.35, he said, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Now, I've got to be honest. If if you cringe when you hear that word fast, I'm right there with you. See, as a Muslim, we grew up fasting. You know, some, we dedicate a whole month to fasting. It's called the month of Ramadan. And I don't even know why Muslims call fasting fasting. They should just call it starving. Because you literally starve yourself before the sun comes up all the way until it goes down. We're not talking about that. One of the things that Shadonke Johnson says is that you pray and fast. And when it comes to fasting, start out really small. You know, if you can do half an hour with the intent of praying and fasting for the lost, then that's okay. That's what you do. Then gradually you grow into it. And so... Prayer and fasting, what should we pray and fast for? 
Well, Jesus tells us right here, pray and fast for those who are lost. Let's pray for those who are lost in our circle. Jesus also instructs us to pray for workers. You know, this is a large undertaking. Evangelism is a large field. And there are so many people in our work, in our school, you know, in our, amongst our families that we could reach. It's all, it doesn't take one or two people. It's a collective effort. So pray for the workers. Pray for the church. You know, pray for this place to be used as an instrument, as a tool to reach people, to provide the means to help the workers. So what do we do after we pray and fast? We connect with the lost. Jesus said in Matthew 5, If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Jesus is instructing us. Jesus is telling us here he hates close-circled uh, Christianity. He's encouraging us to go out and go beyond our community right here. Now, don't get me wrong. I love you guys. I love this community. And, you know, this is part of our worship. But it's important to also remember that there's a world out there who, can, uh, who, who needs Jesus. We need to go out and build relationships. We need to be intentional about that. I want to ask you this question. Is there someone you know who needs Jesus today? Can you think of somebody in your life who needs Jesus? Whether it be a coworker, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's your neighbor, maybe it's a family member. If you've answered yes to that question, then I think it's time we connect with them. We build that relationship up and we pray and fast for them with the intent of telling them about Jesus one day. So if we've uh, met their needs, if we prayed and fast, fasted for them, if we connected with them, what's next? I think we begin by starting a spiritual conversation. I wanted to ask you another question. Do you love being a Christian? Yeah? What is it about Christianity that you love? You know, maybe it's the fact that God has answered some of life's most difficult question. You know, what's going to happen to us after you die? When you think about the fear that death brings to people who don't know Christ, it's quite sad because we don't know what's going to happen after. But Jesus answered that question. What else do you love about being a Christian? Do you love the fact that Jesus has prepared eternity for you? That you have a bright eternal future? Maybe it's the community right here. You know, I consider some of you our family to me. Literally. I've, I've had some of the closest relationships ever since I uh, became a Christian with some of you. Now, all those things, and I'm, I'm sure there's many. I've only named a few. But all those things are great. And they're incredible things. Don't you think it's important for us to go out there and share the gospel with others with the intent of them experiencing what we experience? I always ask myself, whenever I miss out on an opportunity, I challenge myself and I say, you know, Amir, there was an opportunity for you to tell somebody about Jesus. And for whatever reason, I didn't. I hold myself and I say that I, I was being selfish for that moment. I really was. And I know that's a strong statement. 
I know it is strong, but I think about where I came from and where, you know, what God has done through my life. When you hit right, you know, when you're at rock bottom and what God brings to you, I, I think it's selfish when I don't go out there and start a spiritual conversation. So what do we talk about? How does, you know, what do we ask when it comes to starting a spiritual conversation? You know, one of the things we can bring God up, ask them, do you know anything about God? Now remember, this is after we've established a relationship with this person. This is after we've been praying with them and we connected. We're comfortable with them. We could start bringing God up. Share your life. Tell them about how amazing it is being a Christian. Or maybe share your challenging experiences and and how being a Christian helped you overcome that challenge. Ask questions. I think it's so much power when we ask a question because you're at, you know, ask them, do they know anything about Jesus? Have they ever heard about the creation story? This was shared at stand and I thought it was really, really good because it helped me identify where I am when I talk about, uh, when I have conversations with people. So look at that. There's four quadrants there. You know, uh, you're, you're, you're. Conversation might start out as casual, right? Maybe starts out in casual, then it goes into meaningful, which is great. Okay. Now, how do we get it down to the bottom quadrants? How do we get it to a spiritual and then a discovery Bible study, which I'll share with you in a minute? How do we go there? How do we go down to the uh, the bottom the bottom half? Because let's be honest, it is a struggle. It's going to feel awkward, and it's frightening. But I think it's essential. I think when we do this enough, when we do this enough times, it it becomes more natural. So I talked about a discovery Bible study. Uh, These bookmarks were were handed out to us at the stand conference. And at the bottom, I've I've uh, I put the link where you could print these out. Now, I have to give credit to Miles and Melanie Thank you for printing these out. I have a few copies. If you're interested in doing this, I'd happily hand one out to you or a set. So what is a discovery Bible study? I really believe in this because I think it is so simple and we are using God's word. We're using God. We're studying God's word in a one on one basis. Simply, we uh, there's a passage here, for example, Genesis 2, 2, uh, 4 to 25. OK, let's say you've uh, talked to your coworker or friend or you have somebody that you're doing this with and you're at this point. OK, you ask them, do you want to study the Bible together? And they say, sure. Then the first lesson is there is a passage for you. So you read the passage and on the back. On the back, there's a format as to how to go about this. You read the passage, you make the person reread it, okay? And simply, you just talk about what that passage says. So you talk about the details of that passage. Then you ask a series of questions. And you do this uh, week in and week out using this exact same format. And it's incredible to see Hopefully to see what the power of the word of God can do in somebody's life. Now, some of us are have always been maybe 
reluctant to do this because of the prep work that it requires. Well, this eliminates that. It's all there for you. It's all simple. You're using God's word and you're just sharing it with somebody. Why I believe in this is because Hebrews 4.12 tells us, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrows. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. A discovery Bible study exposes the word so that it can do its work. It's not about us. I'm not trying to impress somebody because of my own thoughts. I'm trying to reach somebody and allowing, planting the seed of God so that it can do its work. And lastly, you know, the last part of uh, when we get to to this is we just repeat the process. Now, I want to I want to suggest to you that. Um, if you are interested in seriously pursuing this, you can seriously come and talk to me because I believe in reaching people. I really do. You know, speaking from experience, somebody took the time and they were persistent enough to tell me about Jesus time and time again until I started to pursue it, started to think about it. So it may not be something that that it may take years for us to get to this point that's okay but if you're interested to have some of these and or if you want to know more details or if you even want to do this with me i'd be happy to do so i'd be happy to study the bible with you and uh, helping you realize what god's word has to say so i know i've said a lot i want to summarize uh, a little bit of uh, my lesson this morning we looked at Paul's example. No, Paul was a servant. He was convinced of the gospel and he knew his purpose. We talked about being unashamed. And I hope that you can see the Bible is not just some old writings. It's not just a a, a bedtime story. It is the inspired word of God. And it's important for us before we can go out and reach the lost that we need to be 100% convinced of God's word. And lastly, we talked about you know, uh, some of the things that were happening in Africa. And we talked about some practical ways. I want to end by uh, telling you how excited I was when Jay sent out the preaching plan this year. He talked, uh, he sent us out the preaching plan and we were talking, uh, the theme of it was going to be evangelism. Evangelism gets me excited because I think about how many people out there in the world that need Jesus. You know, maybe they're not out there telling you, putting their hand up, telling you, hey, I need Jesus. But their souls are. And I think God gave us a responsibility to evangelize in a loving manner. So what I would say to you, church, this morning is go now and reach the lost. Thank you for your time.